Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Side by Saturday night. From the back alley of the side room of the Area 51 Jawbreaker Resugaring Plant and Salvage Facility, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 396, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with the annual late summer, early fall sore throat, I'm your host, the guy who's once again passing on the flu shot, the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the rest of the gang. In the Peabody Time Tunnel, sitting at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Help Desk and Gaming Pavilion, it's our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, violent audio virtuoso, Kriana. And she's banking the back. She's bank. She's doing bank at the Dank Dungeons award-winning book cover recertification complex just beneath the entrance of Cyborg University's IT Department Library Annex in Fayetteville, North Dakota. Welcome, Zombrarian. I said a whole thing, but my microphone was muted, and I refused to say it again on principle. <laughs> Who, who's the principal? I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. Oh, you kind of have to, but that's all right. Uh, maybe, maybe, and maybe, if we're, if we're lucky, joining us in the second half of the show, or the second third of the show. Can there be a second third? Yes, but only if there's a third third. Uh, Java may be joining us to talk about some news because Lord knows that's what he does. But our, our guest tonight uh, is someone uh, that I met recently at uh, Granite State Comic Con where I sat in a panel called uh, Geek Ears Pointy and Otherwise with Nerd Audio. Uh, and and on that panel was uh, Colby Elliott uh, from uh, Last Word Audio, myself, and uh, Laura Nicole Spencer, otherwise known as Spence from Resonant Moon Audio. Spence, hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because it feels like I've known you forever, and it's been maybe three weeks. I have that I have that effect on people because I'm uh, there's a reason that I have uh, the position that I do with uh, with the different podcasts that I'm on and it's I'm just so personable and you feel like you've known me forever and yeah yeah and it was uh, we we had fun doing it was the, so uh, much the fun. panel because we, we all just kind of it kind of reminded me of Sci-Fi Saturday Night in that it was a bunch of people just sitting around talking for an hour. Yeah. And it's kind of exactly what we did. <laughs> and we got to tell some stories and uh, talk about 
you know, what we look for in podcasts and how we do our podcasts. And that was fun. And, and the way, um, not, not only are you the, the chief, uh, person behind resident moon audiobooks, mm-hmm. you, you also are a podcast host, a voice actor, an entrepreneur, a self-ascribed fan girl. And yep. we'll talk about that just a little bit because, <laughs> yeah, you, you got some more energy than any 10 people I know, young lady, let me tell you. <laughs> That's why I sleep all day. Ah, that must be it. Um, so <laughs> let's, let's, let's start what, what's going to pass for an interview, but it's just going to be you and me just pretty much talking about um, how you got, how you started Resident Moon Audiobooks. And what you had to do to get, to get that started? Um, well, so I um, I have a degree in audio production and broadcasting, which is pretty and cool. It's pretty cool, um, and I've I've worked and loved audio worked with and loved audio for a long time. I've been making silly voices with my dad since I was a child. And my dad, uh, I think he can still do a Beetlejuice impression really well. Um, but most of, uh, his voices now are, are, uh, very silly accents. Um, but he really inspired me to figure out what kind of funny voices and how I could use my, my voice to entertain people. Um, and so when I was in college, I had the technical skills to do that, um, which was, uh, great fun. Um, and then I, so I have that background and I listen to a lot of audiobooks cause I do a lot of driving and, um, I'm dyslexic. So, uh, reading physical books is difficult for me, but I can listen to audios all day. And reading while driving is not a very good thing. Right. I mean, yeah, there's, there's that as well. There's that as well. And even it, if I wasn't the driver, um, you know, there's <laughs> audiobooks in my case have saved many lives and the interiors of many cars. <laughs> yes. Because I probably would try to read while driving sometime and I would die. Or kill someone, <laughs> and I get super car sick if I try to read. So, yeah, I get, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, so, but as I'm listening to all these audiobooks that I listen to and adore, um, including my friend's podcast novels, um, I notice things. I notice page turns and weird breaks or repeats in the audio or clicks. Or I know that word isn't supposed to be that. I think they meant something else. And um, I was randomly visiting a friend of mine and said, hey, you know what? I think, is there like a job where you can do a quality check on audiobooks? Sure enough, there was. And so I started getting to know um, uh, how to do uh, quality control and work on my production skills. And then from a, uh, lack of employment, I decided to make it a full-time gig and made resonant moon audiobook solutions happen. 
because uh, I'm very detail oriented when it comes to making audiobooks better. So you started off with silly voices. Mm-hmm. I get that because mm-hmm. I started off where I had one impression that I could do and that was it. And it was Alf. <laughs> and I could do a dead perfect Alf and people who heard it 20 years ago will tell you, I, I actually used to do birthday phone calls ah. as Alf for people. And I actually made money in college doing that. He would also, if you, before Dome retired, if you called him at work and asked for Mr. Shumway, you would yes. get the elf impression, which I'm sure your coworkers really loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to do that a lot, and I used to piss off my managers a lot by doing it, and I didn't care. Thank you. Anyway, that, oh, that's that what's left. Good. That no, was good, though. That's all that's left of that voice. It was much better a long time ago. So you you got to working with voices. Mm-hmm. One of the things that always bothered me about audiobooks mm-hmm. uh, is it, that even with the best of them, you hit a word and they mispronounce it. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I literally hit the pause button and go, that is not how that – and I'm shouting at, at my deck in my car going, that's not how that sounds. And I have that issue, and so that's one of the reasons that there there are um, quality control people, because if that's not how you're supposed to say a word, um, we're supposed to note it and have the, um, the narrator redo it. Um, I recently had somebody who couldn't say segue, as in, uh, uh, you know, they segued from one song to another. Right, yeah. Um, but the way it's written, it sounds, it looks like, uh, Sigued. Sigued <laughs> or something like that. So, um, you know, it's totally understandable if that is not a word that you use in your vocabulary a lot. Um, but somebody's got to catch that. Somebody yeah. definitely has to catch that. And, and so that... that's where, where people like me come in. So. What do you free? Did you freelance with? Yeah, I freelanced with a group called uh, Common Mode, and I still occasionally do jobs for them uh, while I built up a bit of a portfolio. And then uh, I am very blessed. And you know, when we start talking about my fangirl days, um, my fangirl days led to me being connected to a lot of other voice actors, professional voice actors, other. Um, podcast novelists and now that these podcast novelists are starting to sell their books and audible is a huge thing now uh they are all wanting their books to be extra good and so they're making the investment to have the book produced by someone else so that they can focus on writing or the narrator is having the book produced or QC'd by someone else so that they can focus on recording the next book. And it's really, um, it's really odd from my point of view, because mm-hmm. to me, voice actors have been like Billy West, who's a great voice actor who does uh, uh, like character voices for cartoons. He does like half the voices in Futurama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, it, it didn't dawn on me until I started talking to Kobe Elliott a while back that mm-hmm. there's this whole other thing that voice actors do 
because uh, if you look, listen to audiobooks that go back uh, to the 60s and 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. they have a very, very, very different sound than they do now. Yes. And that's due to there being a very small pool of uh, classically trained um, narrators. And some of them were very into uh, the characters and making sure that each of the characters had a different voice. And some of them uh, were very academic in the way, yeah. that, they, uh, in, in the way that they portray um, the, the story. Um, and I've had a couple of those, uh, those people who are very academic in the way that they, um, in the way that they read. And sometimes it, they don't even know better. Um, and that, that happens. And that's, uh, something that you have to adapt to. But my favorite people are the, the engaged narrators, the people who, um, uh, who really get into the narration not so much as, uh, you know, just reading swaths of descriptives, but the narration itself is, uh, is like a narrator in a movie, you know, who is right. saying, and then they went down a they went down the creepy stairs instead of, and then they went down the creepy stairs. So there's, there's actual passion in it. Is it your contention then that the best voice actors for books are ones who become involved in the subject matter? Does that help or does it just help for you? I don't know. I think, I think for, for fiction, it helps. Um, I am a very, uh, character, um, character driven reader. Like those are the kinds of stories I like to listen to where there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of character action. I don't care what they're eating on the feast day of Michael mass on whatever day (laughs) I want to know. I, I I do care about who's sitting next to whom and who's going to be whispering to whomever. Um, those are the things that I care about less so about the setting, unless it's pertinent to what's happening in the scene. You, you uh, know what, the, what doesn't work for me hmm. in, in terms of audiobooks is when they have an actor of the genre that the book is reading the book. And I wish I could remember what the book was, but Will Wheaton was doing the, uh, the voice. Oh, no. Was it Red Shirts? Who wrote Red Shirts? Scalzi. Yes, John Scalzi. That's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. Librarian powers, activate! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you once again for refiring that synapse in my brain for me and it just didn't work it was i don't know whether it was because wheaton's voice was so uh knowing you knew it was will wheaton and and it was obvious and and i never got past that as as a listener but it was just really weird it it and with him specifically, and this is just from me having listened to a couple of different stories that he's read, um, 
there are times when he can really get into it and then you forget it's him. Um, I'm specifically referring to um, uh, not Ready Player One, but he did one of the short stories in The Legends of Drist. And I forgot it was him. And I got sucked into the story. Now, was that his skill as a narrator or was that the story itself sucking me in? I don't know. Hard uh, to call, yeah. It's it's very hard to call. Um, but, I, you know, I've also worked on a, a book where the main character was female and uh, the person who was reading it uh, was... Um, not really embodying uh, a female like perspective, and so it just sounded really off. And that happens sometimes too. And if if you have that relationship with the author or with the narrator, in this case, it happened to be the same person. You can say, "Hey, listen." Um, you know, I can do this. However, the voice does not sound right for this project. And they may take your advice or they may say, well, just edit it anyway. You know, and that's entirely their prerogative. Do you, do you think it's more difficult to do an opposite sex voice for you? Uh, or actually it's specifically more difficult for a male narrator to narrate, uh, a female character? I think that there are people who can do it well. And I think that there are people who do a very caricatured uh, version of a female voice and that falls flat on its face. Um, you can, you can do a female voice as a male and not have it sound comical. You know, you, you don't have to talk in your falsetto. You just have to change the tone a little bit and change how you're speaking as opposed to uh, a lot of men speak very directly and forcefully, whereas women, they speak a little further back in the mouth, um, depending on where you're from. Uh, and it has a bit of a warmer tone to it. And that's that whole technical aspect of what it is mm -hmm. you do as opposed to just reading the book. Right. And, um, you know, it takes practice and um, there are schools that train on it, but really it takes practice. And somebody pointing out to you, hey, this is a way to make it sound better. How did you figure it out? Um, by really breaking down uh, what I was hearing that was bad and what I was hearing that was good and then trying to recreate it myself with my voice. And trying to figure out how they made it, it out. good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so reverse engineering it. It's the way Area 51 works. Perfectly mm -hmm. done. <laughs> you know, and, and I do a lot of reverse engineering in other hobbies too. Like, um, I research uh, historical hairstyles, and so I have to re reverse engineer that based on uh, paintings or sculptures that I see. Um, so that's, you know, reverse engineering something is, uh, seems logical to me, but to a lot of other people, it's like, oh my God, I don't even know where I would start. And so I try to break it down depending on um, 
depending on the topic, you know. So on top of being a voice actor, on <laughs> top of doing audiobooks, on top of all this other stuff that you're doing at <laughs> Resonant Moon. Yeah, I mean, I lady, don't do you got your finger so in a bunch anymore. of stuff here. <laughs> I, I don't do voice acting so much anymore. Um, I used to do like uh, back in two from 2006 to 2010. There wasn't an audio drama that didn't have my name in it. Um, <laughs> that was done. That was done, you know, by a volunteer group like Broken Sea or Pendant or what have you. Uh, but these days, I'm more doing the production side and I'm doing it professionally. But Resident Moon also, uh, if somebody wants to do an audio book, mm -hmm. you walk them through how to make it work, taking care of the production so that you can spend the time, the, the writer can spend the time actually writing. And, you know, it's not, it, you make it sound like it's a big deal. But once I got the process down, it's not really that big of a deal. Because what I end up doing is um, I, I go through, I figure out the filters, and then I go through and I listen. So it's mostly a time investment on my part while, um, while the author is doing what they need to do. Um, and for me, I'm listening for all of those audio artifacts. Mm -hmm. If I am doing the actual production, I have, uh, I have someone that I will outsource the, uh, quality control to, uh, because I've already listened to it once. And so I don't want to get that, um, editor's fatigue. Um, A doctor should not operate on themselves. Correct. <laughs> so, um, so I have somebody else go through and listen to it while they read through the script and bring back those notes. And that's typically the job that I do. I don't do, uh, I do 10 quality control jobs um, to every one production job that I do. Um, so most of the time it's listen and watch for whenever they don't match the script or if there's a noise or if the break is too long for ACX standards. Uh, ACX is uh, the audible creative exchange so that's where authors and voice actors uh will um connect and upload the audiobooks that go onto audible mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a kind of a, a set of guidelines for how long the pauses have to be how <laughs> long the chapter bites have to be that kind of stuff well how long the pauses have to be what the volume range needs to be what the quality of the audio needs to be um those are those are the real uh deal breakers and then if they do what's called whisper sync where they sync up the um the audio to the text um so that someone could go through and read the book and listen at the same time and so let's say they start listening to the book and then they want to read it later on. WhisperSync will say, okay, this is where they stopped. And then when they pull up their Kindle um, to read the book later, the book will show where they left off from the audiobook, which is really neat, um, but also makes my head hurt. 
with the technology. Did I break you? Am we I might have broken him. And so I will step in for a moment because um, I, I think I might have broke everybody. <laughs> I don't. Oh, there we are. Okay. Think so. Oh, there's Dome. He's back. <laughs> but yeah, I well, actually have a question. Go for it. Sure. So, as a person, I when I listen to audiobooks, I tend to go for nonfiction mm -hmm. um, because I am not a very auditory person, and for some reason, recitations of facts tend to go better for me than a story um, okay. for, maintain, for maintaining my focus uh, in an audio. I was just, and I'm thinking about two specific books I read. In both of them, the actors did what I would consider not silly voices, but they changed voices for like if they were talking about something a guy said or if they were talking about something a child said. And mm -hmm. with one of them, it was super jarring and super, it would like throw me every time. Mm -hmm. And another, I barely noticed it at all and I felt like it added to the experience. Do you know why? Because if, if it's not a regular thing, so um, I... Immediately, it brings me to um, a book that I worked on, The Great Halifax Fire, which is um, which is a great one. If you have if you like factual books, this is a great uh, it's a great book to to listen to. Um, and that one tells the story of the Great Halifax Fire in a storytelling type voice where you're getting different characters talking. Uh, at regular intervals. So it's less jarring because you're expecting it. Whereas there could be, with the other book that you're mentioning, it could be that it's done so infrequently that it's not a set-up expectation. Um, it could be that just the voice is too dramatically different, or it could be that the, um, uh, the, the vibrations, the frequency... Um, that that voice that particular voice is at hurts your brain. Um, that is a known fact, and that's why some people find other people's voices annoying because it hits a certain frequency um, that it that physically causes them pain. That's actually that's really cool. <laughs> I yeah. never knew that. I'm, I I get migraines, so I learned a lot about the science of audio. It's <laughs> really cool, and. To jump back even further, since that was my question about doing um, about doing voices on audiobooks, my next one going back is, how do you decide um, when there are different regional pronunciations of words? How do you decide which one's right? Uh, it all depends on the setting of the book. Um, I have one narrator that she does American books and then she does uh, she's been working on a couple of series that take place in um, Victorian England and so it depends on the setting so if she's doing an American book um, I will hold her to the American uh, pronunciations as listed in uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary 
if uh, if she is going for uh, the Victorian era uh, set of books, then I uh, use the UK dictionary and those pronunciations. So when it doesn't sound right to me, I'll check both of them and um, and see if it's right. And if it's still wrong, then I call her on it. So how do you, um, I remember when we were, when we were on the panel, you'd made mention about how the script has to match the audio. Yes. And you cannot deviate from that. Correct. Um, Why? Why? So remember I was talking about whisper sync a few minutes ago. Yes. Yes. That is why also, um, it's the difference between would and wouldn't. If it changes the meaning of the sentence, that's a huge problem. There are some authors that don't want to be a part of Whisper Sync, and so they're pretty loose about um, the, uh, the QC, and they say, as long as it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence, just leave it. And... This typically happens when I'm working on books um, that are read by the author. So as mm-hmm. long as, it, and, but if they are doing whisper sync um, books where the audio has to match exactly word for word so that whisper sync can um, keep track of where the reader is, uh, whether it's in audio or in text, um, then it's entirely important because otherwise it won't, the audio in the book won't sync up in that uh, platform. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. But it always seems to me that writers, when they write, don't necessarily write to be read aloud. And that's, um, um, I have several friends who of mine who are editors, and... Uh, they advise their authors to read their book out loud to themselves when they are doing, um, when they are going through their edits to make sure that it sounds right. Um, And sometimes if the narrator and the author know each other, they can have that discussion about making changes to the text because it doesn't sound right. Um, and sometimes uh, the author will be very set in their ways and, and the narrator will just have to deal with it. Well, again, on the other hand, too, um, in the logical progression of how these projects occur, the book is usually already done and out when you get the, the project as an audiobook. Uh, lately, there have been people who do the release of the audiobook at the same time as... Nice. The, uh, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. So, if they're, if you're doing older books, um, like, I've done a couple of re-releases of Stephen King novels uh, in the last year, um, then, yeah, you have to keep it exactly the same. But where some of these books are releasing at the same time as the physical book or the digital book, um, you know, you you have a little bit of flexibility, but you also usually have a deadline that 
a publisher is trying to meet. So it's a whole lot of hurry up and wait and hurry up and hurry up and hurry up. <laughs> well, there's a lot of hurry up and wait on the writer's part once uh, once they submit it for, for ACX. I have a, another question. Of course. Um, that is only somewhat tangentially related. Um, you mentioned that you, you, that you started doing audiobooks because you're dyslexic. Um, and I know that in the actual library where I work, a lot of um, patrons are, will say things to me like, oh, I used to think of audiobooks as adaptive technology and now you know it seems like there are more and more of them and I don't know if this is putting you on the spot or anything but do you see that in the audiobook industry where it it has moved from being this adaptive technology to being more of a mass consumer thing that people do when they're like oh I'm going on a road trip or I have a long commute um, I think that people are becoming aware that they, uh, I think it's a sign of the times because in, in American society, people are so busy with work um, and, and they have uh, on average long commutes. So they don't have time to take in the entertainment that they want, be it um, TV shows or games or what have you. So having an audiobook on um, while you're riding the train or um, while you're driving into work, uh, that's a, um, I mean, it's a good time, not time killer, but a good way to keep your uh, brain engaged with new um with new things to entertain it while you have to do something else. So I think it is becoming more mainstream, and I think it's becoming more mainstream because of how society func functions at a breakneck speed. Um, so I think it's a the the growth is a sign of the times. I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows you asked the right person that, that question. Well, yeah. It's a question that I get every once in a while, and I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know, you can fit more audiobooks on your iPhone? You don't <laughs> have to carry 12 discs anymore per book? And also, you know, it's there are so many different podcasts out there, but if the podcasts reference something... Um, and you don't necessarily have the time to sit down and read whatever they're talking about, uh, you can go ahead and listen to it, um, which is another cool thing to integrate it into um, the other media that you consume. Which, which allows me to segue, using <laughs> words that we just got to, um, in, into one of your other avocations, which is a podcast host, mm -hmm. and how the hell you have time to do that on top of everything else is a whole other story. But you are a host of the podcast Game School. That's right. Um, and I am also a co-host on another podcast called uh, Nostalgia Pilots, where we review um, and talk, we discuss uh, episodes of Gundam Wing. Uh, 
And so, yeah, I have two different podcasts that I'm on right now. But Game School is the major one. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what Game School is and how you got involved with that. So Game School is a show where we sit down with uh, role-playing game creators and we walk through the, um, the rules and mechanics of the game and then we do a quick one-shot uh, showing those mechanics in action. Um, how I got involved uh, has to do, again, with my fangirlness. Um, I got kind of popular for all my voice acting stuff, and I was doing a different podcast at Balticon, and I met this guy, uh, Peter Bryant, who was part of the TSR Podcast Network. We got along. We were on a couple of panels together. And uh, last year, he said, hey, I need some help editing some podcasts. And you're editing shows now. Will you edit this podcast? I said, sure. And it was Game School Season 1 with uh, Satine Phoenix and uh, Chad Parrish. And I really enjoyed the show. I enjoyed listening to them talk to the game creator, talk about the inspirations for the game, and then listening to a a quick one-hour one-shot of the game that they had just explained. Um, So then, cut to last winter, uh, game school has been off the air for a while, and Peter says, hey, um, so I'm trying to get game school up and running again. And I really need a, an energetic person who, um, who can kind of head the show's, be the show's face. Um, and you're really personable, and you're upbeat, <laughs> and you love role-playing games um, and rolling dice. Would you like to be the co-host of Game School? To which I freaked out because, oh my god, I love game school. So yes, I would love to be on this show. Um, And so now every other Thursday I get to chat with um, game creators and uh, learn about their game and then do a uh, 15-20 minute one shot of the game and and make new friends and learn about different games that I want to (laughs) play. And it's a good time. Well, that, that's what makes podcasts work more than anything else. It's a good time. Yeah, and thankfully, uh, because sometimes the, the rules overwhelm me, I have my co-host, uh, JC. Um, he is a game designer, and his favorite pastime is sitting down with a game's rule book and t- reading over the mechanics. And more power to him, because that means he's, he can explain it to me in-game. Uh, <laughs> so I can be like, okay, I want to do this. How do I do it, JC? And he explains it to me. Um, and he can ask the game designers those in-depth questions that are really meaningful for those game designers, because they put a lot of thought into it. And it, sometimes it goes over my head, and sometimes I get it. Now, I'm, I'm going to to the audience tell one of Spence's secrets and, and because I'm guessing it's happening right now for those of you who've never seen Spence live (laughs) or work with her. um, 
in order to keep her mind nimble, her fingers remain nimble no matter what she's doing. She crochets constantly. I am not crocheting, but I am doing fiber arts with my fingers right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I am doing a practice called Kumihimo right now. At the panel we were at, she started off with a couple of balls of yarn, and when it was over, turned to Colby and went, here's a dice bag for you. <laughs> yep. And I and I made a couple of roses as well. Yes, you did. Um, and I have to get the right colors, but I, um, I have a plan for a dice bag for you as well. Oh, you're the best. So what, As how, a knitter, how... I'm always so jealous about how fast crochet can go. <laughs> oh, it's so, like, I love that part. Um, I, I will like, if anybody asks me to make something for them, I get super excited because I love making things for people. See, um, and I so, freak out cause I'm like, I love making things for people. It takes about a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you tell me that I want, that you want a dice bag, I can make you a dice bag in a day and I will happily do it. Oh, if I have the materials, if I don't have the materials, <laughs> then it might take me a month. Cause then I have to get up the courage to go to the local craft store and that is a uh, um, uh, that is a huge feat of strength because I have to try really hard to not walk out of there with a hundred dollars worth of stuff I have to go to the craft store for work tomorrow I'm so scared <laughs> oh well Thor give you strength because my goodness thank you <laughs> and it's someone else's money so I'm like yeah, I could get that. <laughs> I can think well, of reasons to use that. But then I have to hand my boss the receipt and justify everything. Yeah. So that's the scary part. <laughs> well, I think that might actually make it easier for you because you have to justify it to somebody else. So therefore, you would not be as tempted to get it the thing. It takes longer not- to do the shopping, though, because first everything goes in the cart and then things have to go back. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I finally come up with an excuse and then they go back in the car. It, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel your pain. Thank you. Well, Spence, I, I got to tell you, I got to be totally honest and, and tell you, I haven't had as much fun in a, a, a panel convention as I did with you and Colby. It was really <laughs> fun to meet you and, and fun to talk with you. And really fun to have you on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you for coming on tonight. It's my pleasure. And um, uh, as, as things move forward... It, I'm sorry? I said, let's do it again sometime. I think we could. I'm Frankly, I, I think that's a pretty good idea. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really good gift book for the coming Halloween holidays, please consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Our peculiar family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible because there's really no place else to get stuff like that anymore. Our intro music is provided by Rob Watts. More of his amazing stuff can be found at robwattsonline.com, now with hot sauce. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Normally you would hear that right now, and we were for a moon. Now we're not. 
Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. Many thanks to the gang from the Peabody Time Tunnel, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, and woman of words, Zombrarian. Ladies, thank you very much for joining us tonight. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Enjoy the chaos, everyone. <laughs>